On this program series, the Bridge Radio will be focusing on working together in political activism groups with different positions and privileges given to individuals by the nation state. This program will try to focus on ways to heal, dismantle, dissolve, and to decolonize privilege, white supremacy, racism, sexism, and discrimination in activism spaces. The ignorance and the privileges of nation states aims to destabilize and strikes everywhere in our society today, which has everything to do with a dominant colonial culture. This colonial culture even appears in groups that aim to work in anti-fascist and anti-racist ways. This program intends to articulate, to discuss, and to find ways to navigate around these privileges and working together. Decolonizing our minds on racism, fascism, sexism, and discrimination is an everyday practice. You do not break it once, but it's a process of an everyday life. Because we have grown up in racist, discriminative society structures that intend to divide us. So how can we attempt to navigate privilege? How do we work together in subversive ways? How do we break existing power structures in ways that takes intersectionality into account? In this program, Syria, where the bridge radio will be guesting FSK, you will be hearing reflections on challenges of working together from many people from migrants and women political groups and spaces, where this colonial mindset sometimes and often is present. We hope by putting a focus on this issue of working together across different nation-state privileges that we can help activists and individuals become aware of our different positions of privilege, along with finding a sustainable, suitable way to coexist in social and activism spaces. The Bridge Radio. Turn on and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Mendel Rivers to eat hog maws confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner. The revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on reports from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he had been saving for just the right occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so goddamn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally screwed Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. 
There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm women liberationists and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, or Engelbert Humperdinck. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Hello. We are back again. This is Bridge Radio. And today we'll be presenting you as usual with the topic of intersectionality. I am Steve, uh, one of your presenters of Bridge Radio, and I'm here with my colleague. Nana. And for those who don't know the Bridge Radio, it's a um, radio collective that was formed in Copenhagen in Denmark around three years ago. And it's a group of uh, like so-called migrants and non-migrants, people who have citizenship and without citizenship who reside in, uh, in, in Denmark. And we are devoted to make radio together around issues of racism, the border regime, um, and migrant struggles. And today we'll be presenting you with um, Vanessa Thompson, uh, Vanessa Thompson, who was uh, one of these key speakers in um, uh, Bandu Deno. She's uh, an intellectual and an, an activist. Yeah, and Bandung du Nord, it was a um, decolonial conference that took place in May in Paris. Um, and she participated as one of the speakers in uh, in one of the panels that was called Effects of Racism on Oppressed Femininities and Masculinities, How to Articulate Them and Fight Against Them Together. And her intervention was talking about exactly intersectionality, so we invited her um, for an interview um, to elaborate on this talk that she gave for the conference. Uh, since we also thought that it follows up on our uh, previous programs about like ways of working together between different positionalities and How amongst people with different uh, positions di- and privileges. Mm-hmm. And also to understand how uh, intersectionality actually really works within these different levels and different privileges. So you will be hearing from um, what our discussion was with her and um, how she also experienced the conference and why it's many of the topics are very, very important. And, um, and then also later in the program, we also had a visit by Tanya, who's part of uh, the Welcome United group, um, one of the organizers, and they are preparing for an anti-racist parade that will take place in Hamburg the 29th of uh, September. So we talked with her earlier today about the parade and the yeah the ideas behind it so we have uh, so we have a very interesting program lined up and um, we hope uh, the listeners would also stay tuned and listen as we go along this program we'll be hosting you for two hours and again this is bridge radio and i hope you'll be listening but before we go on to the next uh, the conversation with vanessa trump thompson we would like to bring you a little bit of music and this is uh, Fela Kuti, who talks about Beast of the Nation. And uh, 
why it's very, very important to struggle against oppression and what oppression actually makes people do uh, or turn people into. So stay tuned.
so that was Fela Kuti or this is Fela Kuti you're still listening to Fela Kuti is um, a Nigerian musician also an activist one of those um, activists who also campaigned against imperialism campaigned against appetite and oppression so he's also one of those we many of the times in many of the topics look up to in order to understand what our situations are and then now we'll be going a bit further to the interview with Vanessa Thompson and um, so our interview with her was very interesting and we would also like our audience to hear what she has to share. And like we just that we mentioned before, um, Vanessa Thompson was one of the talkers at the conference, a decolonial conference that is called Bandung du Nord, that was taking place in Paris in May, uh, in the beginning of May, and we went to the conference with some of the reporters from the Bridge Radio, um, and felt that this, especially this panel that Vanessa Thompson was talking as a part of, that was called Effects on Racism on Oppressed Femininities and Masculinities, how to articulate them and fight against them together was very urgent in ways of seeing, like, it was talking also about um, gender, oppression, and, like, racism, how this uh, intersect. Um, so we felt like both among the audience who was there, amongst ourselves, that this is something we need to devote more time to talk about and also, like, uh, embed in our practices. So it's, of course, not only a talk, but also, like, a way of uh, acting and organizing together. Yeah, because also a lot of us were unable to go to this conference, Bandung no? and uh, being that the discussion was very, very important in our activist and daily lives in order to learn how to decolonize ourselves. So we've also thought it's important to continue to put a focus on these discussions. So we will go directly into the conversation now, and uh, we'll come back in a while and maybe have a little bit of talk about what we discussed and some music. So we are looking forward to a very interesting program ahead. So we also hope you stay tuned. Yeah, first of all, thank you for um, for having me and for um, having this conversation on this very important um, topic. And I also found it very important in relation to the conference, Le Bandung du Nord. Mm-hmm. I'm Vanessa Eileen Thompson. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, um, um, yeah, I'm a sociologist and I work in the fields um, of critical racism studies, critical migration studies, post-colonial theory, feminist mm-hmm. theory, and black studies. Yeah. And I'm also an activist in these fields. Yeah. Um, so I am, um, yeah, I worked around a lot with, with other comrades around fighting for justice for Christi Schwundek. Mm-hmm. I'm part of the International Commission um, for Justice for um, Jalo. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm also, yeah, somehow in various European contexts around, especially around racist police violence. Hmm. You were one of the first, you were one of the speakers uh, in the conference, Bandude, no. And um, what was your experience from this conference of the panel? Like the whole framework of the conference organized by the Decolonial International Network try to reactualize and follow the footsteps also mm-hmm. in terms of the strategies and the struggles of the Bandung Conference, which took place in 1955, right? So mm-hmm. it took place in the Global South, yeah. and more than half of the Earth's population was represented 
um, with 29 countries that participated there. So this was like really a historic yeah. um, gathering in terms of struggles against colonialism. Mm. This panel um, at this now, first of all, I find it super important to organize this conference in the global north to think about the responsibilities yeah. um, that come. Um, or that, that, that emerge for anti-racist activists um, who are based or who are positioned differently, but based in the global north, but maybe also our global south subjects. But we can also speak about this later. Concerning the, the panel, I found it pretty much important to include a panel on gender yeah. and on the question of how to struggle together, because first of all, this was something that was not present in the Bandung Conference in 1955. Yeah. It was a very male-represented conference, right? Mm, yeah. So questions also of gender, of gender oppression, of sexuality, were not really present at that conference. So mm. I think um, it's also an important reactualization to pose these questions. Um, pose these questions in terms of how do... Um, gendered and um, um, sexual implications are part of yeah. um, the post-colonial condition and how can we struggle um, in terms of leaving no one behind, right? Yeah. Because of gender or because of sexuality. Mm. So I found it, first of all, really important and I welcomed it very much that this panel took place. Yeah. Um, but of course because it was on the different experiences of racialized masculinity and racialized femininities, mm -hmm. um, it was also, I think, um, in a way, it showed the differences of the experiences, mm -hmm. and at the same time, the urge to conceptualize these experiences in relation to each other, yeah. and to ask how in our struggles um, can we think these together, yeah. and how can we think the intersections of gender, of race, of sexuality, of migrant status, etc. And so it was, I think, a very important panel. Um, but what could also see, I think that um, the panel was also a bit like the elephant in the room, you know? Um, because I don't know how it is in Denmark, but in Germany and in many other contexts of Europe, but not only Europe, also in parts of the global north, yeah. these questions um, of... Um, intersecting oppressions, intersectionality, the matrix of oppression, you name it, there are different conceptions mm -hmm. to talk about this, mm -hmm. but they really urge movement um, and they also create obstacles for movement. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's why I found it very important, but it also showed that there's still a lot of work to do. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, so I think because we were also with the Bridge Radio, some of us were, like amongst myself, were in, uh, in Bandung Tunor. And also really found this this panel very important and could also feel the the importance and the urgency in ourselves in our own groups and also amongst the audience. I think there was really like um, it felt like something that could also have given been given even more time to talk about. Yeah, I really agree with that because I think after the presentations, what one realized was there was a lot of response, right? Yeah, different ways of responses, um, and that shows that there. I mean, that's not against the organizers, but that just shows that there has to be more conversations mm -hmm. um, around these topics. And actually, this is not too new. No. <laughs> um, I was also referring to the Combahee River Collective, and I was reading parts of their manifesto yeah. 
um, which was a black lesbian socialist collective yeah. from the United States. And they wrote their manifesto in 1977. And they already also pointed to these issues. Um, so I think it's also something that we have to reactualize over and over again. Nice. We, we, we have to... Um... We have to actually try as much as we can to keep this going because it's also the trying to understand these different levels of intersectionality or how if even if I, sh I don't know if it's the right words to use but in different in these different struggles in order to understand where the problem lies we've been using intersectionality to describe the problems we have within political struggles or activism groups and um, mm -hmm. that's also one of the things we will be focusing on today in trying to mm -hmm. for you to try to unfold for us with your experiences and uh, also part of why you chose to talk about it a little bit in your speech uh, on this conference. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, um, I think I, I mean, I was invited to, to speak about it, but, but not from nowhere, right? Because yeah. I'm um, so interested in um, these issues and interested also in um, what does it mean for political movements, for anti-racist movements, for movements that struggle um, against genocidal migration regimes yeah. um, to um, or anti-capitalist movements, what does it mean um, to understand how um, differences are played out against each other? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, there's a twofold explanation um, to this question. First of all, I'm interested because I've... Um, yeah, these are the subjects I work on, like politically, but also academically. Mm -hmm. um, politically, I'm um, involved in various anti-racist struggles um, since a long time now, yeah. especially against police brutality mm -hmm. and um, against racial profiling in the European context. Yeah. Um, and there one already see that a lot of times when we think about racial profiling, we think about the police profiling racialized men, right? Mm, yeah. Um, very often we do not ask the question of gender in there. I mean, if no. we do, we ask it in question of masculinity. Mm. Um, the same with police killings. Mm. Um, so if I would give you an example in, in Germany, um, the case of Uri Jalo, for example, yeah. um, who was a migrant from Sierra Leone and was killed by police um, in a police holding cell in Dessau while he was tied yeah. to, a water, to a fireproof mattress. Yeah. Um, that case, of course, is symbolic. Mm -hmm. um, the, the death of Ubujalo is, is symbolic when it comes to anti-racist struggles against uh, police killings, um, against police violence. But at the same time, very often women that are killed by police do not even enter the political discourse. No. Um, and this is now, I, w I will stay with the German context. Mm. In May 19th, in 2011, Christy Schwundek, um, a black woman from Nigeria, um, was killed in Frankfurt am Main, that's the city where I live, mm. in a job center, um, while she was actually asking uh, for 10 euros because she hasn't received her social welfare money. Mm. On the 19th of May, usually you should receive it at the beginning of the month, right? Mm -hmm. But it hasn't uh, hasn't arrived on her account on the 19th of May. So on that day, she was like really out of money. Mm -hmm. um, so she went to this job center and she asked for 10 euros um, until the the rest of the money arrives. Mm. And 
um, there was like a bit of a dispute, a bit of a conflict, and then there were two security officers, and then two police, um, 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 two police officers were called, and at the end of the scene, Christy Schwanek was shot, and she died because of her injuries. Now, the question um, that poses there is, first of all, when we look at the documents of how Christy Schwanek was described, um, she was described as a hyper-aggressive, mm. mad person. Yeah. Um, and you clearly see that, of course, there were racist representations mm. in the description of her. Yeah. But there were also gendered representation yeah. in the description of her because yeah. the because rendering the black women aggressive and mad and out of control is part of the racist archive, yeah. um, mm. of the gendered racist archive. Mm. Now, referring to the question of intersectionality, um, after her m murder, after her death, two groups were formed um, and mobilized against, uh, and mobilized for justice mm -hmm. for her case. Yeah. And the one group was an anti-racist group, and the other they split afterwards. And the first, and the other group was a group of um, jobless white leftist people, right? Mm. And the other group was mainly like black folks in the anti-racist spectrum. Mm. Now, one group was referring to her murder as that she was killed because she was black and a migrant. Mm -hmm. And the other group was referring to her, she was killed because she was poor. Mm -hmm. But none of these groups um, at that point were willing to conceptualize the intersectionality that Christy Schwundek experienced as a black woman. Yeah. Um, and also how she was rendered vulnerable as a black woman in yeah. terms of, first of all, um, her status, her, her dependency on her white um, uh, husband, which yeah. she later separated mm -hmm. from, and that her kids were in foster care. Her daughter was taken by the German state in foster care, and she got depressive because of that. Mm. So also her role as a black mother could not... Uh, come into view if we only look at her death from the perspective of race or oh, yeah. if we only look at her death from the perspective of um, being, being impoverished, right? Yeah. Um, so intersectionality, and I think this is a good example to show, first of all, if we don't think of the intersectional dimensions, then sometimes, very often the violence mm -hmm. that black women, racialized women, black queers, racialized queers experience it, appear, it disappears from view. Yeah. Mm. And very often we see that in the movements, right? When they're organized around the killings of, for example, black men, that the experiences of black women do not come into view. No. Now, why are these experiences important? First of all, it's important because we're talking about issues of life and death here. Yeah. Not only when we talk about police, but also when we talk about the justice system, if we talk about migration regulation, if we talk about asylum rights, mm -hmm. right? So all these the anchors of systematic violence, they not only work or oppose or um, make vulnerable um, racialized masculinities, but also racialized femininities and queers. Yeah. So it's important to not lose these perspectives, but... At the same time, these perspectives are also important to, for us to understand how does these oppressive systems, how do they work? Yeah. Um, because for Christy, it was not only being killed by police. It was also how she was treated as a black woman. It was the, her dependency um, towards her, her white male husband, but it was also her role as a mother. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Who was not, um, and of course, the issue of mental health came in there too. Yeah. So we have an intersection already. Yeah. Like to think all of these issues together to understand what happened there. Which is also many of the things we've been trying to um, talk about in that sense in like our group because many of the times a lot of things happen that we do not notice or not do not even take into account, such as mm -hmm. where we try to understand it, where we try to express the different positions that we all have, such as mm -hmm. many of the times uh, we as even black males. When we hear these things in the group where we, we are, we often are even sometimes the ones who dismiss it. Like, mm -hmm. it's not enough. It's not political enough for us to mm -hmm. go out on the streets to, to um, do anything. But at the same time, we are talking about somebody who is also has a life, who is a woman, but just because she's a woman, we do not take it into consideration. So I'm asking, how do we, or how, how do you articulate that we as uh, even black people or can start to recognize what our other um, fellow human beings or our fellow brothers and sisters are going through at the same time so that we can also understand what our main struggles are mm. yeah i think that's an important question because i do um because these struggles are connected right but these, these struggles are connected, and at the same time, I do understand, and that was also something that came on the panel, right, when two racialized men were talking about, like, one, um, were talking about their experiences mm -hmm. as racialized masculinities, like their bodies being rendered as hyper-aggressive, yeah. as criminal, as dreadful, you know, so they are um, vulnerable to police. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and that's true, and it counts for itself to struggle against it. But at the same time, these racial regimes, like Cedric Robinson um, 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 uh, talked about it, yeah. um, are also gendered in terms of, first of all, masculinities is also a gendered category. Yeah. Um, and then they're also gendered in terms of how they are redirected towards femininity, but also redirected, uh, especially also to queer and trans folks, you yeah, know? Yeah. If you're, for example, opposed to not getting a job because the job market is super trans, um, 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 people say transphobic, but I think the word of phobia doesn't really get it because phobia is some sort of fear, but I'm talking more about the systematic violence, um, then people don't get jobs, and then they're forced to live maybe on the street, and then sometimes they're forced into sex work that makes them more vulnerable for policing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so to really think of what are the margins in the various political movements, what, where are the, what are the margins in terms of also the positions, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, or if we, for example, ask what do um, mothers rendered migrants yeah. need? Um, in mm -hmm. terms of their, in terms of their desires, in terms of their striving, mm -hmm. and how does maybe just a male-centered perspective does not speak to that, yeah. and cannot even um, have into view the violence that is gendered, um, and this gendered violence is not something that just appeared now. That's why I do think it's very important also to historicize. Um, how this gendered violence also came into being. That gender was never a category. You can just add on your analysis, right? To yeah. say, okay, well, 
this is um, these are the continuities of colonialism, and colonialism only works via race. Mm. Or these are the continuities, like in the United States, when people argue, okay, um, if we look at the prison industrial complex, there's a linkage from the prison industrial complex to the times of enslavement. Yeah. Enslavement was not just only organized by race. Yeah. It was also organized by gender. Yeah. Um, and it was intersecting because who produced the enslaved labor mm-hmm. were racialized females. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and they had to do the same work like men on the field. So they were not considered as women, like as white women. You know, no. that these these gendered categories did not apply apply to them. That's what Angela Davis calls degendering. That mm. black women had to do the same work on the field as men, so they were not considered as women. But at the same time, they were systematically raped mm. to produce the enslaved labor power. So that means the system of enslavement is based also on gendered racism because it needs um, the production of enslaved labor. That's why so, so rape was not just something aside. Sexual violence was systemic yeah. for these plantation economies, economies to work. Mm. And that's why I think it's important to also, if we now look at, for example, the exploitation of migrant labor mm. in the south of Europe, mm. There has been an article published um, which really shows also these continuities, right? That a lot of uh, women from the west of Africa or the north of Africa now work there on the fields to pick strawberries. Hmm. And forcefully, of course, working there to pick strawberries, no clear state, no uh, like official status. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, their illegalization Mm -hmm. is exploited, Mm -hmm. but also their gendered bodies because they're systematically raped. Yeah. That by was, the person who's overseeing them or the person who's like in charge of checking on them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do see how the gendered violence goes along with the racialized violence. And that's why intersectionality is important to conceptualize how do these forms of violence work together, not separately. Mm. Um, and I think this also comes when we think about migration. Very often when we think about the exploitation of migrant labor, mm. we see men. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If we think about in the German context, for example, if you think about, okay, I mean, there's this whole narrative of um, German working migration regimes, like mm. the call for migrant labor with Turkey, with Italy. And, um, and it's a very gendered representation mm-hmm. also, because you mainly see, okay, they called men to come to work. Um, yeah. to Germany. But they also called upon women. So the ge- the migration is a very gendered phenomenon also, mm. um, especially if we look at who's doing the care work, yeah. who, who are the nannies, right, yeah. um, for white middle-class families. And yeah. how is this also connecting um, to the emancipation of white middle-class women, for example. Mm-hmm. And then who's taking care of their children? Yeah. And this, of course, has a continuity also when you look at how enslaved women were, um, were exploited also in the household, and mm. at the same time, they're very much vulnerable to gendered violence and to systematic rape. Yeah. So I think it's important sometimes to look at, because I'm not saying that this is all the same now, right? When I'm talking about colonial continuities, then it's about how do these modes of oppression and how do these modes of exploitation 
have a continuity, but at the same time, of course, they also articulate difference because time also produces changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do see that there is a gendered implication in the way that racism works yeah. and in the way, of course, that colonialism worked and that enslavement worked. Um, so I argue, following many others, because there is a whole tradition of black feminist thought, of black feminist intervention, mm-hmm. um, that these systems have to be conceptualized together to know what we're struggling against. The Lady Radio, Radio Hello, so you were just hearing about um, Vanessa Thompson speaking on both uh, intersectionality, um, exploitation of migration, exploitation of gender, violence, and how it is really, really entangled in the system and why we should take it into consideration when we are thinking about intersectionality and working together. And actually, the last subject we were just talking about, we've also been trying to work on quite a lot on that with... um, the exploitation of migrants. So and migrant and migrant labor. Yeah, the migrant labor or the exploitation of legality in general. Because also, as she pointed out, many of the times we only assume the males. Why there are a lot of other women? Uh, there are a lot of women also who are also included in this exploitation, even more vulnerable to that exploitation. Who their topics are not talked about. Who their uh, views are not brought into consideration that are just left behind. We have to learn quite a lot how to take this into consideration. As that's also one of our advices, that's so that no one is, will be left behind. In understanding intersectionality, we really, really need to understand that the system itself creates illegality and also try to exploit this people from the, illegal, the illegalities. As she mentioned, uh, there are women who are as of today, picking strawberries in the farms, uh, do the same work as males, but do not are not recognized as people who are exploited even double times. So we are going to come back on this conversation and to continue, but before that, we'll be bringing you some nice music by Lauren Hill. Everything is everything. Spring. 
philosophy, possibly speak tongues, beat drums, Abyssinian Street Baptist, rap this and fine linen, from the beginning, my practice extending across the atlas, I begat this, flipping in together on the dirty mattress, you can't match this, rapper slash actress, more powerful than two Cleopatra's, bomb graffiti, on the tomb of Nefertiti, MCs ain't ready to take it to the Serengeti, my rhymes is heavy, like the mind of Sister Betty, El Boogie Spars with stars and constellations, then came down for a little conversation, adjacent to the king, fear no human being, roll with cherubims to Nassau Coliseum, now hear this mixture, where hip hop meets scripture, develop a negative into a positive picture, So that was um, that was uh, Lauren Hill singing. Everything is everything. In the sense, everything is connected. So we cannot take one out and only focus on one because all of the struggles, all of um, humanity is quite connected. So we also have to make that connection in the sense in order to understand what is really going on and what people's struggles are. And next up is the um, second part of the interview with Vanessa Thompson about intersectionality. Yeah, when talking about intersectionality, um, you also mentioned mentioned in your speech in um, in Bandung to Nord how this term has received also a lot of critique and and created a lot of discussion also in Germany. So we were curious to hear. Uh, more about these critiques and um, and also what is your, t- I mean you explained a bit of uh, like some about it now but like what's your take on it and in which way do you see this as a useful analytical tool in activist groups such as group that works about around migration struggles? I mean yeah that's a that's a big question <laughs> because I think intersectionality, how it is often conceptualized, of course, goes back to Kimberly Crenshaw, right? Mm. Um, she's a legal um, black feminist scholar yeah. in the field of legal theory, and she was trying to understand um, the, how can I say, she was trying to understand the voids mm. in the anti-discrimination law of the United States. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that migrant women, racialized women, black women are falling through the cracks when it comes to anti-discrimination. Because when it was about gender discrimination, it was only a black, uh, only about white women. Mm. And when it was about uh, race discrimination, it was only about black men. Mm. So she was thinking of how can we think this double discrimination or this then intersecting discrimination mm. that black women and migrant women experience. And then she delivered a metaphor to explain that. And that metaphor was the intersection. So she said, imagine a street intersection where race, gender, class meet at the street. Like different, you have different roads Mm. and then they are, are at the intersection. And what happens there? How can we understand discrimination from there? Now, of course, what Crenshaw was trying to do, she was intervening into a legal context. That's important to, to, to name because, first of all, she was looking at this intersection in a very punctual way. 
by yeah. saying, okay, what happens at this moment? Yeah. And then there were other uh, feminists of color, like Gloria Anzaldúa um, and, and, and other comrades who said, well, I live at this intersection. This intersection is not just when these streets meet, mm-hmm. but for racialized women, migrant women, black women, this intersection is their life. Mm-hmm. So there was already a, a part of how Crenshaw tried to look at this in a very legal way. Mm-hmm. But she was also trying to look at it in a way that then she later she, she wrote a text in 1991 mapping the margins, which showed that there is a structural intersectionality and a representational intersectionality. And we just talked about the representational intersectionality yeah. when we talked about that black women, when they're being killed or when they're experiencing state violence, they don't even come into view yeah. very often, no. right? So yeah. the view is like centered around masculinity very often, which is important. I don't want to say that this is not important because we're talking about lies. But the question is, how can we broaden the spectrum mm. so that nobody falls through the cracks, like Kimberly Cranshaw said. Now, she, turned, she coined the term intersectionality for her description, for her intervention. But of course, this critique of thinking multiple oppressions and mm. thinking how they intersect or how they interconnect yeah. is something that goes back mm. way, way back. Yeah. So in 1895, for example, Sojourner Truth, the black feminist abolitionist, said to white women who were organizing around voting rights, ain't I a woman? Yeah. At the same time, she said to black men who were struggling against enslavement, you also have to look at my experiences of slavery, of enslavement, because I do not want that we only concentrate on on men in this emancipation struggle, Mm -hmm. because then when this struggle is over, I will still be oppressed. Now, that's a very important point, because these intersections, the, the critique that comes out of this is to say you cannot argue that racism or classism is the only issue. Yeah. And the other things are just besides. Mm. Because if you think, okay, if these issues are solved, the other issues still exist. And Sojourner Truth said that when she said, I don't want you to just concentrate on this, because when this then is solved, yeah. my oppression still exists. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually a very good example in this sense, because talking about intersectionality of trying to use the word intersectionality to, to describe some of the things we we have witnessed or seen some of the times in activist groups i will give i will use such as an example of the um, refugee groups some of the times we find it very difficult or hard to describe some some of the discrimination that you feel even though if it was to be argued the other way I, as a man, am in the position of privilege, but at the same time, it's sometimes very difficult for the person who has the privilege to be an European citizen or to be able to have um, the privilege to work, to the privilege to health insurance, all of this, to be not to understand how we sometimes are different, but many of the times it's assumed that we are fighting on the same level, and that's many of the times causes conflict because, as let's say, as a migrant, you often see that um, when that fight is over, that you are still also going to be oppressed. You still remain in that uh, category that you are. Nothing really changes for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
And I think that's why it's important to listen to the intersectional experiences. Because, mm. I mean, I, I do understand sometimes the avoidance of the concept. Um, mm. Because, like you both already mentioned, there's also a critique of the concept, right? Mm. And that, I think, at least for the German context, what happened was that intersectionality, this reception of intersectionality was very much, um, for example, in academia, very much elaborated, but mainly by white feminists. And suddenly they didn't even talk about racism anymore. Mm. <laughs> they talked about, okay, oh, well, we're all intersectional and we're all different. So it's now about diversity. And that also has to do, of course, with the neoliberal um, university, the neoliberal academy, right? That mm. it depoliticizes very often concepts, which are mm. actually political concepts. Mm. Um, but at the same time, what it did was it only looked at intersectionality at the U.S. Because the term was maybe coined by Crenshaw in the U.S., and I just referred to that it's an historical analysis. Yeah. Although it was conceptualized differently, sometimes Angela Davis talked at it as triple oppression, race, class, gender, when they cross-cut, when they work together, triple oppression. Then there was triple jeopardy. Then there was matrix of oppression. So there were different... Black feminists and other feminists of color and post-colonial feminists were trying to uh, use different concepts to understand the phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that also happened in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> like in Germany, black feminists in the 1980s were already trying to understand their lived experiences and mm -hmm. how do these systems of oppression intersect in violating their bodies and their experiences and their realities. So first of all, I think part of the critique is the depoliticization of intersectionality and also the erasure of intersectional critique in the various contexts itself. And I think in Denmark also, um, there, I'm sure there were also migrant women who did not just only think about racism and migration, yeah. but also thought about and think about the intersections. Yeah. But that's why I'm saying to make it a political tool, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's important to ground it again in the activist struggles. Yeah. And there, for me, you can call it intersectionality, you can call it intersecting oppressions. Mm -hmm. Of course, it doesn't have to be only... Um, how can you say? It doesn't have to be only concentrated on intersectionality as the concept that Crenshaw coined, right? The term yeah. she coined. But more about how do we understand and how do we struggle together, together for, against these intersections. And I think in movements, what is important concerning this is not to get into an Olympics of oppression, uh -huh. not to have the fear that just because we talk about the intersection you're experiencing now, my struggle is going to get out of you, mm. right? So you're not going to think about my difference anymore. I, as a black male, or I, as a black woman, mm -hmm. for example, I'm a cis black woman, that when we talk about violence against trans people, that I wouldn't say, okay, now you don't want to talk about the, the, the domination mm. I experience mm. anymore. No. Mm. You know, to say, no, it's not about that. It's not about creating an Olympics of oppression or playing one oppression against the other. Mm -hmm. It's about to understand the systems we're up against. Mm -hmm. How do they work? And how sometimes do we also internalize the, the, the decisions yeah. they make? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In your speak, you also talked about the difference between working against and working with which I think was also very interesting to hear more about um, 
because I think it also refers to this, like also the how some things are internalized even within our own groups and the the ways that the state try to create divisions. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you wanted, if you could explain more about how you see this difference between working with and working against, and and also in terms of possibilities of creating alliances along different li- mm-hmm. lines. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was inspired by the Combahee River Collective Manifesto when I um, thought this through, you know, because I was reading over it. Mm. Um, and then I was thinking there was this one sentence where they said, although we are feminists and lesbians, we feel solidarity with progressive black men. Now, you can put this progressive into, into brackets because I think, okay, what does progressive mean? Mm. You know, it's yeah, also... Yeah some kind of problematic word sometimes. But I think that was also just the leftist talk of that time, you know? Mm. But to say, okay, we feel solidarity with black men and they do not advocate for the separatism to say, okay, black women only organize as black women. Mm. Queer black folks only organize as queer black folks. Black men only... No, they say, we want to organize together and we have solidarity around the fact of race. So they struggle together with black men against racism, but they also struggle with black men about sexism. Mm. So I was saying the struggling together against means like really struggling from our different positionalities and the different categories that are produced um, through these systems of oppression against these systems of oppression. Mm. But at the same time, to struggle with within our communities. And when I'm saying community, I do not only mean black people. Um, I also mean political communities, right? Yeah, yes. So when we say... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I said, yes, that's what uh, what we mean. We don't only mean the black community. We also mean the whole activist um, groups and organizations. Yeah, exactly. So when we think about anti-racist communities, when we think about... um, yeah, feminist communities, right? Yeah. <laughs> because this was also an intervention against feminism, against dominant white liberal feminism. It was not just only about the black power, the intervention uh, in, within the black movement, but mm. also it was multidirectional. Yeah. And that's what I'm interested in, also the multidirectional critique mm. to say to various movements, hey, we have to, as political movements, struggle around these issues to be able to struggle against yeah. The systematic oppression we experience. Hmm. Now that's hard in practice, right? Very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I'm, and that's also why I'm saying that's not just the recipe, you know, that you read that and you think like, okay, so that's the way to go. No, I think, and here I would like to refer to Angela Davis, who said freedom is a constant struggle. Yeah. Um, which of course means that it's not just you say to the other person, well, you have gender privilege, Mm -hmm. and then everything is solved, you know, think about that. No, struggling with, within, this with also means within, struggling within our communities, Mm -hmm. but also struggling with our communities against. And this within, it implies a lot of self-critique. Like self-critique to say, okay, what is missing here? If we're talking about this was a racist incident, this is a racist implication of the structure of the state to say, where's gender in there? Mm. Where's sexuality in there? Mm. 
that's what Marie Matsuda said when she said, always ask the other question. Ask the question, um, where's gender in there? Where's class in there? You know, to really think of, okay, what is missing? And who are we missing when we don't ask that question? Yeah. And I think also it's a process. It's very much... Um, a question of, of self-reflection. And I think what is always important in emancipatory movements is to ask the question of self-critique. Yeah. Mm. Um, of course, the enemy is out there <laughs> and whatever, but we also internalize yeah. stuff, you know? Mm. And to really say, okay, what have we internalized? What do we have to work through? Not only work through and then forget what's out there, no. But we have to, I think, work through these contradictions Yeah to really create struggles that can be emancipatory for all. Mm. Because I think especially if we think through the lens of what happened, what went wrong with the movements of the past, right? Yeah. Of course, we know these movements were also very much, they had a strong backlash also by racial capitalism. If we look at the Black Power Movement, there was the, the counter-pro. If we look at the anti-colonial revolutions, mm -hmm. Yeah, or if we look at, for example, what happened in Haiti and that France then made the embargo. Yeah. So we know, of course, there's a whole division of labor. There's a whole global economy that also puts these, puts like, t uh, how can it, poisons these struggles. But at the same time, a lot of times these struggles were focusing on only race, mm. right? Or only class. Mm. So there, and there were also interventions, even in the like various anti-colonial struggles on the African continent, for example. Yeah. A lot of women were also saying, like, look, gender is not just a thing aside. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for, for emancipatory movements, or if we want to call them freedom movements, yeah. it's also important to look at our history and to ask, okay, what have went wrong um, also in terms of the questions we did not include in our struggle. And why is it important to do that? Um, to create, yeah, to create different worlds. Mm. You know, and also then to, to be able to f reflect upon the violence we sometimes also reproduce. Yes. Delay Radio. Radio Radio Radio. This is the Bridge Radio, and uh, the song playing now, uh, we are bringing you Chris Rea, who is also a South American at, um, musician who sings about border and immigration, and this is called Immigration Blues. It's also to say that all immigrants are not as stupid as assumed, so just to keep that in mind. Give contribution. Thank you. 
bringing you the last part of the interview with Vanessa Thompson um, where we continue talking about intersectionality and also here more specifically about um, intersectionality of struggles that we are trying to understand this term and how it can be useful in an activist context yeah also that's we are having uh, also I think we are having a very good conversation so far and I think it's also very important that we take into account mainly this topic coming now intersectionality of struggles because this actually comes down to activist groups uh, political um, activists also to apply that in their everyday life how to struggle with people and not against people the same thing you've been talking about because um, there was once I was talking with somebody who was inviting me for uh, a, capi- a capitalist um, protest and um, mm-hmm. I tried to make that person understand that what was very very much important for me at the time was more like the racial uh, discrimination that the refugees were going through and uh, that was a more present fight for me and um, mm-hmm. This made our, our our struggle also separate because, of course, he understands that I understand that we have a, a huge problem as capitalism and that I should yeah. understand that. But he doesn't understand that I am facing double um, discrimination here or even like uh, the discrimination of capitalism itself in the sense of when it comes to race or like what we talk about today as refugees. So I wanted exactly. a little bit to maybe bring that into context, maybe other in order to understand uh, gender in order to understand class in order to understand race when we are talking about intersectionality or even racial capitalism that you mentioned also um, how do we un- make that possible in our activism groups or political spaces mm-hmm. yeah that's hard you know i mean yeah it's i mean for, maybe it's really if we um i like the concept of racial capitalism which um, of course, was was brought forward by by Cedric Robinson, and mm. he already made a very important interve- intervention into like the traditional or not traditional, but into the vulgar Marxist readings of capitalism, right? Mm. Because he said, well, capitalism was always racialized, mm. meaning that capitalism and racism 
first of all, they did not break from the old order, feudalism, because it's often said, okay, that capitalism is like some sort of emancipatory move from feudalism. But they... But but Rothenman said they did capitalism and racism did not break from the old order, but they evolved from the old order, mm. and that racial capitalism. So for capitalism to emerge, it was dependent on enslavement, mm-hmm. on colonialism, and of course on imperialism, yeah. and that were already racial questions. So capitalism was not just racial to divide the workers, yeah. but it gained its momentum through racism, but not only through racism in terms of the uh, genocide against the indigenous folks and the enslavement of of African bodies and subjects, but also it created racial subjects within Europe, right? The Irish, Roma, Slavs. Yeah. So there was all there, and these were also then proletarians. So Cedric Robinson shows how race and class already works together. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is important to think of, first of all, if we have like these, I don't know, like these movements, these white left movements, you know, who only want to talk about class. And Mm. we see this rising again, you know, now suddenly there is a, the the right gains a lot of political power. And what do a lot of white leftists do? They say, well, it's about class. We have to talk about class again. Mm. But if you look at how the world operates and how the world economies operate and how do they exploit the, ra- the global south, that's a racial question also. Mm. You know, it's not just a question of class because class is racialized yeah. and class is gendered. So I think it's very important that, um, especially now as, at this political momentum, that also, of course, the white left reconsiders its putting class in the center, mm. or the anti-racist movements putting race at the center. Mm. It's really about understanding how, um, yeah, how does racial global capitalism draws on race and draws on gender and is structured by race and is structured by gender. Mm. Because frankly, if you want to say who is the like workers unite, who's the proletariat of the world? Yeah. That is actually the women in the in the in the global south. Mm-hmm. Yes, but like I said, we're not into these Olympics of oppression, right? No, but no. to say like, okay, if we you really think of who's paid the less, whose work is like really exploited, also on a bodily yeah. um, level, and whose 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 bodies are, are waste now? They're not even useful anymore for work. They're not even needed anymore for work. No. That's why these bodies can drawn on the sea, and that's in the Mediterranean, or they're they're like forced to flight because of war making and everything of that. Of course, these are racialized questions, and these are also gendered questions. Mm. Um, and I think within the movements to really bring these questions together. And I think they're also really great examples where this is already being done, you know, because like I said, these questions are not new. Yeah. Of course, they, they have new obstacles, but um, a lot of groups and a lot of networks were really trying to already think these questions together. And they were trying to create political programs mm. and political movements where these questions are at the center and not at the margins. Yeah. And that's where maybe intersectionality, not only as a term to understand experiences and identities, but like Angela Davis says, intersectionality of struggles is important, right? How do we bring 
the struggle, the, the white leftist struggle, together with the anti-racist struggle, together with the that's, feminist struggle, together with the ecological struggle. Uh, that was actually supposed to be our next question, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 it will be nice because we would have liked to ask you that question, and at the same time, like to use that, but in order to connect with our audience, also who we are trying to reach, who are mainly migrants, in order to be able to use that as as an example, you know, understanding intersectionality as Angela David did, give as an example, mm -hmm. as an intersectionality of struggles, uh, in order to apply that in this understanding of today's refugee migrant issue. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, how, how I understood it, or how I think it, this is really useful yeah. for current political movements is to think not only of intersectionality of experiences mm -hmm. and intersectionality of subjects, mm -hmm. but also to think in terms of intersectionality of struggles. Now, what does that mean? It could mean to bring together, through thinking from the intersection, the question of race, class, gender, but also, of course, sexuality, mm -hmm. but also the question, for example, of ecological justice, mm -hmm. struggles against environmental racism, mm -hmm. struggles for social justice, mm -hmm struggles for political justice, right? Mm. And I think it is especially the refugee movement who has a great potential to do that. Why? Because they already work often mm -hmm. in, a, in, in a certain way on intersection. If you struggle for the right to housing, mm -hmm. the right to education, mm -hmm. the right to move, mm -hmm. and against racism, and then also against gender oppression, there is already an intersectionality there. Yeah. And I think this intersectionality makes it possible for more people to join the struggle. Because, you know, with neoliberal uh, capitalism, even a lot of white poor folks, they don't know how to pay their rents anymore. Mm. They need housing, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so to really say, if you are, like, engaged in a struggle that looks at the intersections, and I think that's where the refugee movement is really important, yeah. because it already, the, the right to health care, mm -hmm. all these rights, they address various groups. Mm -hmm. And to think from the intersections of these rights and to think from the intersections of the struggle against these violences is so many groups can join. And I think, you know, in the German context, there's this um, Project Shelter. I don't know. Have you heard about it? Oh, say yeah. that again. It's a, um, it's a, a group, a network. Yeah. called Project Chelka, and they're doing great work around housing, right? And they started with uh, working with a lot of uh, migrants, people rendered migrants and rendered refugees. I mean, you're not yeah. born as a migrant or as a refugee. You're, made, you're turned into one. Exactly. Um, and they organized with um, migrants and refugees who did not get, get access to housing, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, they said the Project Shelter also is about that all people need shelter. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's about the neoliberalization of the city. Mm. You know, but to say, okay, it's the refugees that bring, that their lived experiences, there these struggles intersect, so we have to start from there. Mm. But if we make this, if we make these conditions better, then the question for housing is also going to get better for the white working class. Yeah. That's a very nice example to use for, mm. in order to understand this more, like, the group. 
uh, as for the groups to understand more how these things intersect. Well, we've been talking quite a lot with uh, gender migration, and I hope this really makes uh, people make a reflections and uh, try to understand this in the different ways we've been trying to under, um, say it. So I just wanted to comment on this, like the example you brought up about like struggles around housing. I guess also in this types of struggles, it's still very important to be very... Okay, well, right. have a great evening. Take care. All right, yeah. you bye too. Bye-bye. 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 Of course, white people who need a place, uh, who, are, who, who are not provided housing, will experience this different than people of color, or could be. Exactly. Mm. Because with our group, we have also been talking about like working rights and talking around this as a topic. We are also trying to bring working unions in Denmark together with some migrant workers who are working like without papers, talking. And I mean, of course, there is some common interest or common like path. You can see a struggle, but it's also really important that that to understand that this is really like experienced very differently also. So I guess there's also yes. in creating this interse intersectionality of struggles, there's also some some huge there's potentials, but also challenges in within that. Yeah, exactly, because it's not just about um, bringing them together in a way that it then centers again, for example, the white citizen experience, right? Mm. But an intersectionality of struggles would mean also you start your you depart from the intersections. Yeah. So what would it look like if we de depart from the most vulnerable positions mm. when we talk about housing rights? Mm. And then how can other people maybe see that these, these, these struggles also, to some extent, mm. concern them? Not yeah. all, because they still have privileges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's important to mark these privileges. And mm -hmm. important, it's important to struggle with the political community around these privileges, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. That there are certain um, experiences, even in communities, that are different mm -hmm. and that are... Um, different also in terms of vulnerability. Yeah. But I think the intersectionality of struggles allows us to place at the center the intersections and then go from there. Yeah. And how would our struggles look like? Hmm. What if we would, I mean, now, for example, I come back to the example of Christy Schwundek. Hmm. If we would talk about, or if we would center her experience Mm -hmm. against police violence, what yeah. would we understand? We would also understand how systemic police violence is connected and to operates. other forms of state violence, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And also the gendered forms to, for example, that she lost her child doing a racist foster care uh, system because the foster care system is also racist. Mm -hmm. Roma children or black children are disproportionately put into foster care. Yeah. You know, and, and get out of their family. Mm -hmm. So if we start from Christy Schwunek's experience, we will not only learn something about police violence, mm -hmm. we would also learn something about how this police violence can be connected to the foster care regime mm -hmm. or the mental health uh, systemic violence. So yeah. that's why I think for an intersectionality of struggles, it's important to start with the intersectional experiences. Yeah, that, that was a very good example and a very nice time we've had so far talking and um, I really hope it makes sense for our audience and that they really understand and take, also take into consideration these different levels of or different um, 
bridges of um, intersectionality and how it's actually we should practice that in, in our everyday life in order to actually create a real change. Um, it's been amazing having you, uh, Vanessa, and it, we've really had a, a very nice conversation and I hope you can also come back another time in our program to talk about many other topics that you also get to share with your students in the universities because many of these things we do not get to share ourselves within our communities, the activist communities. So we would also be inviting you for another program because we've had a, a very amazing evening with you. Thank you so much. I also, I really thank you for the conversation. And yeah, I think it's really, um, it's so important. It's like really so timely, but it was already timely. And I think it's part of the work that the movements and we who are in the movements also have to do in terms of um, asking the other question, thinking mm. about what is missing and how can we like create the world we really want to live in without leaving anyone behind. Exactly. Yeah, so and thank you so much for having me on the show, Stephen Anna. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Freedom, item, meet him. Where's your freedom? This one needs a brand new freedom. Weed and the key. Weed and the key them to life. Let's beat them. We them smartphones don't beat them. This is MIA Borders, and um, you just had it all from Vanessa, Vanessa Thompson. And we all have to work together in order to realize uh, not to leave anyone behind and finding means to work together and also taking intersectionality into account, seriously into account, because when we do take that into account, we are able to also recognize uh, what the bigger struggle is and also respect each other and move along together and not leaving anyone behind. Yeah, I also just wanted to repeat this point of Vanessa Thompson about uh, intersectionality of struggles, which means both like combining of course understanding these different oppressions that exist but also taking the start point from the uh, intersection when we organize yeah exactly because we are actually the change we want so if we actually want these changes in our groups if we actually want these changes in our societies we should start learning how to imply it as she said the changes is everyday practice as we also try to mention in our programs or the introduction of our program this all of this decolonization um, uh, sexism all of this is what we have to decolonize ourselves every day is an everyday practice and uh, that was from vanessa and we had a very nice conversation with her but now we'll be moving on to um after the music we'll be moving on to the next one about well we come united uh, which is also pronounced welcome united you'll be hearing from tanya in a short while